Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in St. Matthew's Gospel, reading there in the 17th chapter, verses 1 and 2. And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. This is quite a winter Sunday morning, I realize, to be sure. But I do hope that all of us feel that it is good to be here. Today, Christian friends, is the last Sunday after Epiphany. And the last Sunday after Epiphany is also known as Transfiguration Sunday. This event took place in the summer before the spring when Jesus died on the cross. It was in the third year of his ministry. And we are told that Jesus took Peter and then James and John, who were brothers, and he took them up to a high mountain and was transfigured before them. Now, the Word of God, we have three records of this occurrence, this transfiguration. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us this. Uh, the Word of God does not tell us the name of the mountain, but tradition tells us that it was Mount Tabor, and so we shall call it Mount Tabor. The Word of God also does not tell us when the hour was of this transfiguration, but we assume that it was of night, so we're going to talk about that night on Mount Tabor. We are told that Jesus took Peter and then James and John and went up on this mountain, Mount Tabor, evidently at night, and he was transfigured before them. We may say, what really happened up there on Tabor that night? Something happened that Peter, James, and John saw something that they had never seen as long as they had been with Jesus. Here they were with him nearly three years. One thing they had never seen, and that's what they saw upon Mount Tabor that night. We are told that his appearance was changed. We are told that as Peter, James, and John looked at Jesus while he was in the act of prayer, his face began to shine as the sun. It was simply a blinding light. And not only did his face shine as the sun, but his clothing became whiter than snow. It was a dazzling, it flashed like lightning. What was happening was this. His glory was oozing out of his body. They had never seen that as long as they were with him. No wonder they were frightened and they fell to the ground. This was the transfiguration that night on Mount Tabor when Christ's glory oozed out of his body, out of his face and out of his clothes, when the three disciples saw for the first time, they saw with their eyes his glory. It was a wonderful event that night on Mount Tabor. And on this Transfiguration Sunday, as you and I turn to it, we ought to realize what a tremendous event it was, the time, the only time in the ministry of Jesus when his glory oozed out of his body, when his face was a blinding light like the sun, and when his clothing dazzled like flashing lightning, and Peter and James and John, they saw it. It was wonderful. It was magnificent. And we may say to ourselves, well, what is so wonderful about it after all? What's so, again, magnificent? What is so glorious about the fact that his glory oozed out of him once? Up there on Mount Tabor that night, 
And it ought to be this, that in your life and mine, it's a wonderful event because it's so wonderfully comforting. It's so wonderfully heartwarming and so re-encouraging. At least I find it that way. And let's look at it today. Again, the transfiguration when his appearance was changed. When once in his earthly ministry, three of the disciples saw his glory oozing out of his body. And that's what it was up there on Tabor that night. And we may say, well, what's so wonderfully comforting? Well, it's this in the first place, that this transfiguration of Christ, it assures us that he was no less than God. He was no less than deity. You know, Peter, James, and John, Jesus picked the three of the inner circle to go up to be witnesses. They with the other disciples, they had, again, they had been with him for over two years. They had seen, some of them had, when he turned water into wine. They saw him go still the tempest. They saw him heal the lepers. They saw him heal the maimed and the halt and the blind. They saw him raise the dead, but there was one thing they had never seen. They had never seen his glory. And again, they would wonder about it. Was he God the Son? Was this one who was born in a manger in Bethlehem, was he no less than God? Deity, they had never seen anything different. His appearance was always the lonely man, the stranger from Galilee. And then that night on Tabor, when they were up there, lo and behold, the glory that was his, it oozed out and showing that he was beyond question God himself. He was God the Son. And not only that, but they were frightened. And then a large cloud, it was a bright cloud, overshadowed them that night. And then there was a voice from the cloud, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Oh, there was no doubt in the mind of Peter, James, and John when they were up there that night. This is God. This is deity. Now we have seen his glory. Later on, Peter in the epistle lesson today, in his second letter, he said, We were with him on the holy mount. We were witnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty. I saw his glory one night. And John also in his gospel says, And we beheld his glory. We saw it with our eyes. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I wonder if we realize how heartwarming was that incident up on Tabor that night when again his glory just oozed out of his body. And it assures you and me and it warms our heart that again he was the Savior and he was big enough to be the Savior. I find again this assurance when I say, was this Jesus of Nazareth? Was he the Christ? Was he the Son of God, the Savior? Why up on Tabor when his glory oozed out of his body? The only time in his earthly ministry that this occurred, what more would you and I want in the voice of the Heavenly Father? He was no less than the one who was to come, and he was big enough to be your Savior and mine, because he was no less than God. And therefore, when this warms our heart, and when transfiguration a Sunday comes and we say, what happened up there on Tabor that night? And again, when his glory used out of his body, we ought to remember to write it on our hearts. Then we ought to determine in our Christian life, there's one thing we're going to hold on to through thick and thin, even though men find it difficult to believe, and that is his deity. Oh, his deity was hard even for Peter, James, and John to believe in. They had seen miracles, but they had not seen one thing. They had not seen any glory using out of his body until that night and up there on table. No wonder they were frightened to death. 
And they looked, and again, it was hard for Peter to believe what he was seeing. And that's why he said, Lord, it's good to be here. And then he just had running off the mouth, and we are told he didn't know what he was talking about. He said, Lord, if it's all right with you, I'll make three uh, shelters, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know, I love that guy. Oh, that lovable bucket mouth, Pete Johnson. He just... He, he just rained while well, like you and I, you know, we talk before we think. And that's what he did up there. Why? He was flabbergasted. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. Glory was oozing out of this Jesus. He had never seen that before. And he said, oh, Lord, let's, let's preserve this thing. And uh, he didn't know what he was talking about, we are told. And sometimes we say, what about the deity of Jesus Christ? Well, again, Peter said, I saw it with my own eyes. John says, I saw it too. I was with him up there on Again, I was up there on table. That ought to be an assurance that, again, let's hold fast to the deity of Jesus Christ. We can't lose that. He was no less than God. And then we've got this heartwarming assurance and this comfort and this hope that, again, because he was deity, he just thought of everything to assure you and me that he was the Savior. You know, if he hadn't ever shown his glory, I think you and I would have missed it too. I think we would have said, yes, I, I believe he's the Christ. He, he performed miracles. He did raise the dead and he healed the lame and the lepers and he stilled the tempest. But if he was God, how does it come that his appearance didn't show it? You see, he didn't walk around with a heel around his neck around his head. He, no, there was nothing again. There was no glow as he walked. He didn't look any different than you look or than I look. Isaiah says again, there's no form nor comeliness that we should desire of him. Never any minister, just an ordinary man. There was nothing startling about his appearance. You and I would say, but oh, if he was God the Son, oh, how does it come that the glory didn't lose out? But he did. And I thank God that he, again, he just thought of everything. One night, they went up again. They went out on, up on table. And while he was praying, that glory oozed. His face, oh, it blinded Peter, James, and John. They looked there, and his raiment was again. It was white as light. They'd never seen that before. This was glory oozing out of his body. And you and I, again, let's don't lose the deity of Jesus Christ. He was God the Son, and he thought of everything, even up again, on table. There was his glory. It was right out of his body. And it's a tremendous event, isn't it, this transfiguration? Because we say, oh, why is it so heartwarming? Why does it comfort us? Because I would remind you and myself in the second place that this transfiguration of Christ, it assures you me that there is life beyond the grave. We may say, is there life beyond the grave? In our hard-headed scientific age of the 20th century, oh, there are those who are so assured that there can't be life beyond the grave. But you know, when I go up on Tabor and I, again, on this mound of transfiguration, I find here that here's Peter, James, and John, and Jesus took three witnesses that they could, again, later on tell about it. Uh, there appeared unto Jesus Moses and Elijah. I stood at Mount Pisgah's lofty height one day, thanks to you who sent me to the Holy Land. And again, 1,500 years before Christ, there's where Moses died and he was buried. And the archaeologists are digging there today trying to find his body. God buried him. And lo and behold, on this mountain on Tabor that night, there is Moses who had died 1,500 years ago. And God gave him a body for that occasion. And there he was, and there was Elijah. Elijah lived 900 years before this time. 
And Elijah, remember him on Mount Carmel? I stood on Mount Carmel, and again, in the northern kingdom, there was a great desire to worship Baal and to overthrow the true God, and Elijah says today we're going to decide it. Again, these two great outstanding characters of the Old Testament, there they were. Moses dead 1,500 years, and Elijah dead 900 years, and you recall, God took him to heaven in a chariot of fire. There they were. And some say, uh, how did Peter, James, and John know that it was Moses and Elijah? Well, that's a good question because the text doesn't tell us, but I don't think it's difficult. Jesus surely greeted them. When Jesus was there, and again, his glory was oozing out of his body, and there was Moses. I imagine why Moses, Elijah. And they were talking. You know what they were talking about? We are told they were talking about his death that was going to occur in Jerusalem. The subject of conversation was his demise, his death. In other words, if up on again, if up on Tabor that night, the subject of conversation with Jesus and Moses and Elijah, what he was, he's dead. Oh, what paramount importance that must have. And that warms the heart, doesn't it? Because if they talked about his death, Evidently, as the word of God corroborates, that was the death of Jesus that opened up heaven, life and salvation, life beyond the grave with God in heaven for all of us without exception. And that's the thing that comforts. We say, is there life beyond the grave? Why, of course there is, because Moses and Elijah were there, and Peter, James, and John saw them, and they heard them talk with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. Don't call them a liar. Moses and Elijah were there. And they talked about Calvary. They talked about his death. And believe you me, that's the very hub and center of it all, isn't it? But on the cross, what we're talking about again, on the cross, this was God's Son who was going to take the guilt and the punishment of the world without exception and going to bear it in his own body that life and salvation in heaven might be again available for all men. This is the comfort of that which took place that night on Mount Tabor, it was tremendous, wasn't it? Therefore, we ought to write it on our hearts and say, what a magnificent experience. It, it warms the soul. Then we ought to determine, uh, since again, it does warm the heart, that there is life beyond the grave and that Christ, by his death, opened it up for all of us. We ought to say to ourselves this morning, if we don't know him, we ought to certainly open our hearts in this very moment and receive him. Because, again, we don't have to hesitate. We may say, well, is he big enough to pardon my sins? Is he big enough to grant me eternal life in spite of what I am, in spite of what I have done? Uh, thank God upon Tabor, friend. When again he was there in glory, they were talking about Calvary. It was his victory, you see. And therefore it matters not who you are or what you are or what I am. We know this, that when we turn to him and we're sorry for our sins, we ask him to forgive us because he died for us. It matters not what we have done or how far we have wandered away. There is forgiveness. There is life and salvation. There is this comfort then. That again, this body that, again, that had glory used out of it, is the very body and blood that in the Lord's Supper he offers us even this morning. Can you think of anything more wonderful than this? This Christ again, who assures us that by his death, he has opened up heaven for all of us without exception. 
They didn't hold a communion by means of bread and wine. He says, I give you this body. I give you this glorious body, this glorious blood, these two tremendous erasers. And when you receive them by means of bread and wine, if you want them, he assures you and me that these erasers, they will wash off of your soul and mine. All of our guilt and all of our punishment. Isn't it magnificent that the word of God says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow? Imagine what that means, that when the body and blood be raised from your soul and mind, our guilt and our soul is whiter than snow. It looks glorious, doesn't it? Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool, as bleached wool that is so white and so snow-like. Can you think of anything more wonderful than that? And that's because, again, up on Mount Tabor that night, he was transfigured. Glory oozed out of his body. The only time when he was here on earth that you see. But it was up there that night, and he took three witnesses that, again, they would know he saw it with their own eyes. To me, this is tremendously comforting, and it also means this, that this transfiguration assures us in the third place that our bodies will glow in glory also when they are raised up. Now, it's rather interesting. We have three accounts of this. And the Word of God tells us that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory. Their bodies shone too, I'll have you know. Not just the body of Jesus, but there was light. There was a glow on the body of Moses. Now, they were just ordinary sinners like you and me. There was no inner glory coming out of them, but this was the glory that God had given them, which is your assurance and mine, that when our bodies shall be raised from the dead, our bodies too are going to shine in glory and in magnificence. You may say, what did this all mean to Jesus? What's the tremendous thing? Here it was the summer before the following spring when he was going to die. He goes up again, goes up on Mount Tabor. And there for a few moments, he who was God who came out of the ivory palace and came into this world and humbled himself and became a human being, for a few moments that human nature, the humanness of him, that human body and soul, it emitted and it oozed the glory that was his. He was being given a foretaste of what was lying ahead after Calvary. And that's why the word of God so aptly says, who for the joy that was set before him. He got a foretaste of it up on Tabor that night. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. In other words, he said, I'll go through Calvary. I'll bear hell and damnation for the world. It's worth it. Because when it's over with, I'm going to shine in glory. My father gave me a foretaste of it up on Tabor that night. It must be wonderful. The word of God says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And Paul says he will change our vile body that it will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Let's realize when our bodies are raised from the dead because of what happened up on Tabor, your body and mind is going to glow. It's going to shine. It's going to radiate splendor. And let me assure you, that means to me that it will more than compensate 
from anything that ever happens to your body or mind or to our loved ones. Oh, they're bringing them back from Vietnam, aren't they, and some casket lids we can open, and some we can't open. We've got to leave them closed, bodies mutilated. But then some that are opened, mother and dad and wife look in and say, oh, they're so changed, that isn't my son, or that isn't my husband. I don't care what happened. What is sickness, but it's slow death, isn't it? I don't care what happens to your body and mine, but I do know this, that because of Mount Tabor that night, when the glory that Jesus Christ will give our raised body from the dead is ours, it will more than make up for the worst that can ever happen to your body and mine. We ought to say to ourselves, when it warms the soul today, this is Transfiguration Sunday, we ought to, again, write it on our souls that up there, the only time in this public ministry that you ever have a record of, again, glory using out of his body, that one time it did radiate and it came out brilliantly and it came out magnificently. There was these godness when you and I can write that onto our souls and we can say, I'm going on in hope and I'm not going to despair and be despondent even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Is it any wonder that Peter, James, and John, they were frightened stiff and they hid their faces in the dust? Because, again, they just never had seen anything like this before. They were flabbergasted. Poor old Peter didn't know what to say, but he said something. And then when they hit themselves, Jesus tapped them on the shoulder and they looked up and their vision was gone and Jesus says, Arise, don't be afraid. It was all gone. When they came down from Tabor that night, Jesus said, Now... I don't tell anybody until after my resurrection. This was his orders. But he wanted witnesses to see before his death that, again, he was God. He was the Son of God. I remember going to see a friend of mine, just a young man. He was just a few years older than I. This was in my early ministry. And so I sat at his bedside talking. He put the blanket over and he said, look at my legs and down around the ankles. The skin had separated You've probably seen it underneath, the bones in both legs were cold black. It was dry gangrene. He looked at me and he says, I'm dying. Am I not? And of course he was. Then we talked. We talked about a body. What kind of a body are we going to have when he raises it up? To know again that we shall be like him. That our bodies will radiate in glory in heaven. Even as the body of the Son of God. And that means this, that eternity is going to be just too short to keep on telling our Lord, it, it's good to be here. It's so good to be here. Pete Johnson spoke those words that night up on Tabor. Lord, it's good to be here. That made some sense, didn't it? To be able to, in eternity, to look at our Lord. You know, I'm wondering about our Lord on when he was up there on Tabor, this was before his death. And after his resurrection, he had the five prints, you know, one in each hand and one in each side, and one each in his feet where the nails had gone. With his resurrection, I've often wondered, since the glorified body had it, whether in heaven, these, you see, these are his badges of honor. And I rather imagine that in heaven, uh, those uh, five prints will still be in the body. And I rather believe in my own 
a human way that perhaps they're going to glow just a little brighter than any other part of his body. You see, these are his badges of honor. These are the eternal evidences that in heaven when you and I glow in his glory that he loves us. We're going to feel at home that again he died for us. And I believe eternity is going to be just too short that when we can look at him glowing the five prints just a little brighter that we will say, oh Lord, it's good to be here. To be able to look at him and sing, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabbath, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna in the highest. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus. It's good to be here, Lord. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.